my name is Clayton, like uh, was mentioned, and um, I will be sharing about the sanctuary. It is an exciting um, topic for me, and the, the topic um, today will go on till tonight, and we'll be doing some more later in the weekend um, on Friday and on Sabbath, and um, you, we'll make more information on that available tonight. But um, we're going to get right started into this one because we want to be done by 10 till, um, so you have plenty of time to meet your next appointments. So um, I'm going to go ahead and jump right in. How's that? Okay. Now, the sanctuary, um, the topic of the sanctuary, uh, most people look at that sanctuary as, a, as something dealing with the Old Testament, and they don't recognize the value of the sanctuary in the New Testament. That's just normal. In fact, that's the way I believed when I was being raised up and, and was hearing about the sanctuary. But over the years, I have learned that God's way is in the sanctuary. Now, many people want to know how to find God. But here he says that his way is in the sanctuary. So that's what I want to look at. How can we find his way in the sanctuary? So when we take a look at the, um, the different um, parts of the sanctuary, the, we take a look at the, the courtyard, the holy and the most holy place, we should be able to find His way there. Now when sin came in, God could not stand in the presence of Adam and Eve any longer um, because of sin. Sin would have um, been destroyed and them with the sin if they would have stayed in the presence. Um, so God had to separate Himself from Adam and Eve. But when um, Moses comes out of um, Egypt and he brings all those people with him out of Egypt, then he says, um, God brings them up on the mountain and he tells them this, make me a sanctuary that I might dwell among you. So when you look at this, you know the sanctuary is designed for killing the lamb, putting the blood upon these different pieces of the furniture. All that is a part of it, yes. But look at what he says, build it so that I can dwell among you. God is in heaven. He wanted to be close to his people, but he can't stand face to face because of sin. So the sanctuary is going to tell the story how he's going to separate the sin. So therefore, you'll notice verse 9, it says you need to make it after the pattern that I showed you. Because everything about the sanctuary was telling the story. And if you have a story that's told many, 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 many years, it loses something along the line. And this story could not lose anything. So that today, while we're here in this year, 2016, we can look back to what was told back then and have faith that nothing has changed. Because they did it exactly the way God gave them instructions to do. And as we go further, you'll see why it's so important that even the table of showbread being placed on the north side means something. And we'll see that as we go on uh, in later lesson. Okay, now when the sanctuary was finished, they put it together and they reared it up. And when they had finished building it up, you will notice that God does something. Then a cloud covered the tent of the congregation and God's glory filled the temple. So just exactly that was God had said here in Exodus chapter 40, it's telling us now when it's finished, God moved in. Let him make me a sanctuary, then God comes in. So now he's in the sanctuary. 
This sanctuary, of course, was replaced by another one that well, this one here is going to be bigger. This one here is Solomon's temple. This one here, the same thing took place. We find in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, 1, that when it was finished, God's glory filled the temple. Now, what you're going to find is the structure is different, but the services are the same. That's what we're focusing on, the services. The furniture, they were the same. They used the same types of furniture, things. The, the building was just bigger. So, um, so that's the change that you see that took place in, from one sanctuary to the next. Of course, you know the next sanctuary was um, the one that Zerubbabel built after Solomon's temple was destroyed. You'll notice that Jesus enters into that sanctuary. And here in John chapter 2, 16, he's, um, he sees them selling these doves and things inside the sanctuary. They weren't following the pattern God had given they were, they were messing up the plan of salvation. They were misrepresenting God in how they was ministering there in the sanctuary at that particular moment. And Jesus chases out the money changers. Then he says, make not my father's house. So he calls it his father's house. So you have, make me a sanctuary. I will come dwell with you. The idea is make me my home and I'll be right there in your camp. I'll be right with you. Okay, so now Jesus is calling this one his father's house. Now, you remember when Jesus um, was about to go, um, go to, the, um, to the cross? He was talking to the disciples. You find this in John chapter 14, um, verses 1 and 2. Most people here probably can quote it. But did you ever place it to the sanctuary? See, it says, let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. What does it say next? In my Father's house. You see, the idea that we get is we see an earthly sanctuary, and that's what we think about when we think about the sanctuary. But reality was God gave them that sanctuary so that God could have them act out the things that God was going to do in His sanctuary, which is His house, which He says you are going to live with him someday. Okay? So we don't know how big it is. But we know the furniture and the services represented something. We're going to take a look at that. In fact, in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 12, it even states us that there's a glorious high throne from the beginning is the place of our sanctuary. Now, you don't get um, confused. The sanctuary in heaven... That's God's house. We're going to see some verses on that in just a moment. Did not have a courtyard. Because the courtyard was earth. You see? The courtyard was the earth. And so therefore, Jesus comes to this earth. And when Jesus is on this earth to do the work of the courtyard, before he went to heaven to do the work of the holy and most holy place, while he was upon this earth, John looks at Jesus and points to him. We see here in John chapter 129, he's, he sees him and he points to him. He says, behold the Lamb of God. That's sanctuary language. You know, that's not something that we would normally hear somebody say. There's the Lamb of God. See, they had a service that they did every day. They had work that they did in the sanctuary that killed the Lamb. That lamb was pointing forward to the one day Christ was coming. So John basically says, there he is. 
the one who's going to do the work of the sanctuary. And you'll notice that Jesus dies because we do know that God gave us Jesus. Okay, and when John 3, 16 says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Now, after his death, we find that's when the veil rips inside the holy place of the sanctuary, which is very significant because that veil ripping now basically says there's nothing sacred about this one any longer. Because the work that was being done in the courtyard has now finished. Now the work has to begin in the real heavenly sanctuary. So the earthly sanctuary has now met its fulfillment. It's done. The veil rips. They're done with it. Okay? So now Jesus, after that, he goes to heaven. Now what we're going to see on Sabbath lesson is we're, going to see, is we're going to see how this plays out. It's very, very significant where Jesus sits beside the Father, especially when you consider the possibility, where did Jesus go when he dies? But it says here that in Ephesians 1.20, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places. So we have the idea that Jesus went to set beside God in heavenly places. That's what happened after Jesus died. In fact, you notice it says in Hebrews, now Hebrews is a very, very good book to use so that you can understand and prove without a shadow of a doubt that there truly is today a sanctuary where God is at in heaven. Don't let anybody tell you there's not a heavenly sanctuary. You and I don't know exactly how it looks. But we do know he has a place that he dwells, that he does the work that he's talking about doing. And it says here, now of the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. We have such a high priest. The earthly sanctuary had a high priest, so they understood what the high priest was for. The high priest had a particular job. His job was to go in before God and make sure that you were right with God. So now he's saying, we have our high priests, okay? And we have such a high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of majesty in heaven. Verse 2, he says, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle. Did you catch that? Which the Lord pitched. Did you catch that? And not man. See, when... Moses was on the mountain. He says to Moses, you go make me a sanctuary. That's the one that man pitched. He's not sitting in that one. He's in the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched and not man. Now in verse 11 of chapter 9 of Hebrews, it says, but Christ being come a high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle. Here it is again, not made with hands, not the one you made, Moses, not that one, that is to say, not of this building. It wasn't the earthly sanctuary that Christ is at. It goes on to say in Hebrews 9, 24, Christ has not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are a figure of the true, but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for us. So if you can understand, the sanctuary was given to us so that we could literally see in the earthly sanctuary what took place, then we would understand what's really taking place in the heavenly sanctuary. That's the beautiful part of the sanctuary. That's the part that the devil does not want you and I to know. Therefore, that's why he wants to get away, get us away from the idea, you know what, we can know what Christ is doing right now. We can see it 
because what they did in the earthly sanctuary. In fact, when you look at the sanctuary, the sanctuary is, is I call it the timeline of earth's history. The sanctuary had a one-year cycle. In other words, every year they would start that same service and cycle over again. That cycle was telling the story of the life of Christ and the plan of redemption of how he was going to separate sin from man and eventually put man back in his presence again. So the sanctuary is designed to teach us um, what's taking place. In that yearly cycle, I call it the, the timeline of earth's history. There were two services performed in the sanctuary. And one of them is called the, um, the, the, the first one is called the daily service. Okay, The daily service, they would use, and I have the pictures up here, they would use the courtyard, which is what you find here with the two pieces of furniture. That's what they would use every single day. That's the place where the people could come. In other words, you and I, we could walk in there with our offerings. We could come right inside there, but we could not go into the structure because the structure really is heaven and we're on this earth. Therefore, we could not go there because we are here while the plan of redemption is being taken care of. So the first work was Christ to come and be the lamb and die for us upon the, upon the, in the courtyard. Then the veil rips. Then he moves up into the heavenly sanctuary. Okay? So this courtyard um, was part of the daily service, but there was another part that was used in the daily, and that is in the holy place. We commonly might think, wait a second, Christ came to do the work in the courtyard. That would be the daily service. Then when he goes to heaven, that must be the yearly service. But no, the holy place was also a part of the daily service. So once Jesus finished the work upon this earth, he had some type of work to do in this compartment right here in the holy place. So we find that the daily service would consist of those two compartments. And the person that walked in from the, holy, I mean, from the courtyard into the holy place, that person was the person that represented Christ, which Christ died, he goes to heaven. That person was the priest. The priest could go into this compartment every single day. Now... The second service was what we call the yearly service. It's also known as the Day of Atonement. Some people know it as Yom Kippur. This is the time where the sanctuary was going to be cleansed, okay? That was the yearly service. And they would use all three places. They would use the courtyard, they would use the holy place, and they would use the most holy place. But this most holy place, the priests couldn't go into. Only the high priest went into that, that room. And only on that particular day could he go into that particular room. So the idea is this. Now, if you can just understand, if you're, God says, build it exactly this way, follow my instructions. So the high priest moving into the most holy place, do, do you think that God couldn't protect him every single day to come right into the most holy place? He could have. But it was a part of the story. He was saying, don't go in there till that day because my son, when he dies, he's going to do the daily service in the holy place. Then on the day of atonement, he's going to move into the most holy place. 
Do you see what I'm getting at? Knowing the earthly sanctuary, what they did, is telling us what takes place in the heavenly sanctuary. It's a story that has been given to mankind out in the desert, in the sandbox lesson. It's a simple story. And it was repeated every single year. Now, everything that was done in the courtyard we talked about um, represents what um, happened um, to, and, uh, with Jesus while he was upon this earth. And of course, everything done by the priests in the temple we talked about represents what Christ went to do in the heavenly sanctuary. Now, one thing that you need to know about the sanctuary upon this earth, okay, that when we're looking at the courtyard, it's going to foretell something about Christ. So let's listen to the details. The daily, the gate would open at 9 o'clock. So basically, if that back, the back door back here was our gate, okay, that gate would be closed at 9 o'clock, it would open up, okay? Then the services would be here all day long until the gate closed. It was time to leave. The gate would close at 3 p.m. So the work being done in the courtyard was from 9 o'clock till 3 o'clock in the afternoon. You will notice that they were told, according to Exodus um, chapter 29, verse 38, it says that they were to take um, two lambs every day and bring them into the sanctuary, okay? One lamb was going to be the one killed at the nine o'clock in the morning, and the other one was going to be killed in the evening. So they were told, bring in every single day, this is the daily offering, every day I want you to bring a lamb in and I want you to kill it at nine o'clock. Then I want you to finish the work and I want you to kill a lamb at three o'clock and the doors close, okay? Now the lamb was to be killed upon, according to um, where the burnt offering was killed was on the north side, according to Leviticus 1.11. The north side is where the lamb was to be killed. So he says, bring the lamb in and take it to the north side and there's where you're gonna kill the lamb. All these are details that you need to understand. And so looking at the picture, you see that we have a table, which is not something that we know for sure exactly how they had the killing table there on the north side. But there was some way that they brought the lamb over on the north side, and we use a table there to illustrate it. And that's where they would kill the lamb, on the north side of the sanctuary. Now, then the blood was placed upon the horns of the altar, making a record of the sin and the sins that were confessed. Now, the altar that I'm referring to in this particular point is the blood that's placed upon the altar of incense. We have two altars. We have an altar out there in the courtyard, which is, in, which is the altar of sacrifice, but we also have an altar that is there in the holy place. That's all part of the daily service. So they would kill the lamb in the courtyard, and they would take the blood and place them there upon the horns of the altar. And so therefore, the horns of the altar would be the record of the sin that was being brought there. On the other side is the most holy place. Now remember, we talked about the daily, then there's a yearly, is to cleanse the sanctuary. All the sins are brought into record here, then they're going to be cleansed on the, that last day. So we have this imagery here that they take the blood and place it there upon the horns. Then also, part of the daily service, part of the things that they would do every day, is um, they would come in to the altar of incense. Now this is found in, in Exodus um, 20. 
I mean, actually it's chapter 30, and he would place the um, incense um, there upon the coals, and the incense there would create a smoke, and that smoke would rise up, and they would go up over the veil into the most holy place, and we find in several places, in Psalms um, 141, it talks about that our prayers uh, would rise up, in the smoke of the incense. And in Revelation, it talks about the prayers of the saints being the smoke rises up in, from the altar of incense. So we have the idea that your, the, the horns is where the sin was placed and then the, and then the prayer would be going over before the, into the Father asking to be forgiven for the sin. So that prayer altar, he would deal with that every morning and then he would go over to the lamp stand and he would take and he would... He would deal with the lampstands, putting oil and trimming the wicks. And he'd do that at the 9 o'clock, and then again he would do it at in the evening time at 3 o'clock. So basically, at 9 o'clock, he goes into the altar of incense, and he goes to the, the candlesticks. Something about that work has something to do with Christ's work when he dies upon this earth and he goes to heaven to do the work at the daily service in the heavenly sanctuary. And we'll look at that more in detail. Now, we, um, in Luke chapter 1, 8 and 9, we won't um, take time to read that, but you, you will find the story of Zechariah. Zechariah was the one that went inside. His job was to burn the incense, okay? But the thing that I want you to see about that, while they were burning the incense, that's the time that the whole congregation was praying. So at 9 o'clock, the congregation would stop what they were doing, no matter where they were. They would kneel down, they looked toward the temple, and as they would pray, the priest would be inside the sanctuary killing the lamb, and it would be as if you had walked in yourself, and you had put the sin upon the lamb yourself. So the priest was doing it for the whole congregation, okay? So this is what was taking place, and that's was known as the time of prayer. Also, you will notice, and uh, this is the Psalms 141, where it says, lift up my prayers and set them uh, to be set forth as incense, okay? But in Acts chapter 3, verse 1, this is what I wanted you to see. This is another, another um, uh, time that the disciples were going inside the sanctuary, okay? Now, Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, Okay, he's going at the hour of prayer. We already saw that the morning time had an hour of prayer, but we're also seeing that this was the ninth hour. The way they reckon time started at 6 a.m. So the ninth hour works out to be in the three o'clock. That's the evening sacrifice is also known as the hour of prayer. So at nine and at three, no matter what you would do, you would stop, kneel down, look toward the temple. How do you think they knew when... Um, Daniel was going to open those windows looking toward Jerusalem to pray. Even though Jerusalem would be in ruins, he still practiced that nine and at three. In fact, he even practiced in the middle. He also did it at noontime as well. Okay. Now, we're going to now jump into the, um, the sanctuary. The sanctuary, is, um, I, I know that... Um, there's many more verses to prove the heavenly sanctuary, but I'm going to now jump to the idea that um, the heavenly sanctuary exists. And that's where Jesus began. And when he began there, um, the first thing that we find that takes place is he leaves from heaven 
and he comes to earth to be a baby, right? So I want to take a look at that, okay? We're looking at God's way. Uh, we find in Psalm 77, 13. So if we put a cross at the entrance of the sanctuary, okay? The sun comes up in the east, and that sun comes up and it travels west, okay? The sanctuary was always set up in such a way that the gate was on the east end. And when you came in, you were traveling west, okay? So we have the sun coming up and traveling west. If that sun would hit the cross, I want you to notice what happens with the shadow of that cross. That shadow is going to touch every piece of furniture. It's going to go into where you find the table of showbread and the candlesticks. And it's going to continue on until you get into the most holy place where the Ark of the Covenant is. Now, I illustrate this because Jesus is the one that got on the cross. Okay? The scriptures tells us that there's nobody going to the Father but by Jesus. We're correct? We find that in John chapter 14, 6, right? There's no way we're going to go to the Father but by Jesus. So we have this shadow of the cross upon the ground. That shadow, that's the way. I want you, when you read your scriptures and you, and you find scriptures that talk about a way that's right unto a man, or this way, that way, understand it's dealing with the way of the sanctuary, okay? The way that we're going to see is that everything about this um, um, sanctuary, Christ has to stay on that black line. Okay, And as he stays on that black line, he's going to have to visit each piece of furniture in his life. And as he visits, he fulfills that piece of furniture as he moves to the next one. Tonight's lesson will show that same black line, except it will not be Christ walking on it, it will be you and I. Okay, So now the sanctuary is the symbol of heaven, where Christ came from. So after Jesus leaves heaven, he comes to this earth, he's born in Bethlehem. Now looking at the courtyard, the very, we'll jump down, put the black line there before the laver, okay? That spot, let's call that the life of Christ prior to his baptism, okay? You'll notice that he finds, he comes to the temple at the age of 12 when he sees the work that's being done in there. He starts to see the lamb, what is taking place in the lamb. He understands now his work that he has, that he's come to be the lamb to die. So he starts to see this, okay? Then you find the, the, um, the, next piece, the first piece of furniture that Christ is going to come to. And by the way, you don't hear a lot about Christ's um, ministry as a child. You don't really hear much about what he does until he starts his ministry at the age of 30, okay? And so staying on that black line, we're going to find ourselves at the labor, okay? So let's examine the labor, okay? Jesus, at the age of 30, finds himself at a body of water. You see? He finds himself at the, the labor. He finds himself at the body of water. Now, look what happens at this particular labor. Now, just so you know that they were priests working in the sanctuary. They couldn't work any time. They had a particular time in which they were told they were to start their ministry. They were to start their ministry working there in the sanctuary. Now, there was two types. There was the ones that worked with the priests, which is the tribe of Levi. Then you have the priests who were the ones doing the services of the sanctuary. 
So we're dealing with the ones that were not priests, but the Levites. They were to make sure the water was there, make sure the wood was there, make sure they had all the sacrifices. They were the ones to carry it when it was time to move it, but they were not to do the services. This ministry started for them at the age of 30. And it's interesting. In Luke chapter 3, 23, it says, And Jesus himself began to be about 30 years of age, and he's baptized. Okay, it's very possible that that just so happened to happen exactly, and it's a coincidence. But I'm, it can't be a coincidence if this, the same thing takes place as we travel on in every little detail. You see, they weren't to start to the age of 30, so Jesus knew when he was to start his ministry. So he worked as a carpenter's son up to the age of 30. Then, remember his mom asked him to do something? He says, my time has not yet come. So at many times he said, it's not my time. But now it is his time because he's 30 years old and he meets the fulfillment of the first piece of furniture. Now, after, um, after um, that, you find the next uh, space, the black line, would be between the altar of sacrifice and the labor. So now you've gone through the labor, but you're on your way to the altar of sacrifice. So that time period is going to represent three and a half years of Christ's life. So during that three and a half years of Christ's life, you're going to notice that he does all kinds of things for his Father in heaven for the people upon this earth, right? Okay, now, but he comes to the altar of sacrifice, so we're going to examine that for, for a moment, okay? Looking at the altar of sacrifice, um, let's back up one slide there, okay? Um, we're going to call the altar of sacrifice the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, some people will call it the cross. It's okay to call it the cross. I'm okay with that. But let's examine a little bit more thoroughly and see that it's also, it, it's also considered the altar, um, the Garden of Gethsemane, and the cross is also a part of it, but yet not right there. And you'll see in just a moment, okay? So the Garden of Gethsemane is where Jesus comes to. Remember when Jesus was walking there? He started to stagger a little bit. Because what was happening, all the sins of all, in fact, including your sin and my sin. In other words, literally our sin that we have committed, those sins, the weight of those sins were actually placed upon Christ as well. And this, this was taking place, and as this was taking place, he was starting to feel very... Um, the heavy with this burden that was placed upon him. And so Jesus almost dies there, but he can't die there because the lamb was killed. When I said they brought the lamb in, where did they carry the lamb? To the altar sacrifice or to the north side of the altar sacrifice? You see, the north side of the altar sacrifice is, is exactly where the lamb was killed and Jesus himself needs to die on the north side of Jerusalem, not there at Gethsemane. That's why I said, I have no problem with calling it the cross, but there's more to it, the north side. Okay. Okay, so we're going to have to, okay, the north side, was, uh, Jesus was um, killed. Okay. Mark chapter 15 gives the exact times in which Christ was crucified. Remember I said the gate opened at nine and closed at three? It's interesting that Jesus um, was put on the cross the third hour, which is nine o'clock, okay? And so he was put there at nine o'clock. 
And he hung from um, all the way to 3 o'clock. The very hours the sanctuary is open, he's hanging on the cross from 9 to 3. Jesus fulfilled it exactly, upon, exactly the way it was determined. Then Jesus dies. He's up, he dies at 3 o'clock. Every detail of the courtyard met its fulfillment exactly. He comes to this earth, he's baptized, starts his ministry at the age of 30, then he goes to the Gethsemane, then the, the sins are placed on the altar of sacrifice, the sins are placed upon Christ at the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus is taken off to trial, then he's taken to the north side of Jerusalem where he's killed, the lamb was killed upon the north side of the courtyard. The gate would open at 9 and would close at 3. Jesus was hung on the cross at 9 and he, hang, he hung there and he died at 3 o'clock. All those years, that story was telling the same story. One by one, one day after day, after day the story was being told about the courtyard. But the holy place was also part of the daily service. It took 4,000 years for them to complete the work there in the courtyard. In other words, that yearly cycle, it was 4,000 years of that yearly cycle before the um, Christ dies and meets the fulfillment of that particular part. So, so many people say, well, why hasn't Christ come yet? What's taken him so long? That just the courtyard was 4,000 years of earth's history. After Jesus dies, he, um, the temple is ripped in top, from top to bottom signifying the work of the courtyard is done and it's now to move now move your attention to the real sanctuary not the the figure but the true sanctuary and that's where jesus um, um, himself has went now i'm going to jump through a couple of slides here because of the time um, and i'm going to jump down now if you do want my slides uh, if you if you will get your information to um, um, Read. We'll make sure you can get the slides for to catch up. Okay. Now, um, there's. I'm going to jump into this last little part here in the holy place. John was in the spirit on the Lord's day. We have to find Christ doing the work of the holy place because part of the daily service. We have to find him there. He's not in the most holy place. He's in the holy place at this particular time after, after that, before the day of atonement. So we have to find him. And John gives us a good clue. John says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and um, behind me uh, it was a great voice as of a trumpet. Okay? He hears this voice of a trumpet. So what he does, he turns around to see the voice that speaks with him, and in turning, he sees Jesus ministering at the seven golden candlesticks. That's the daily service work. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is ministering there when John is in the Isle of Patmos. We're going to have to see Jesus move from there into the most holy place. That day is on the Day of Atonement. And we're not going to go into that lesson today. Brothers and sisters, the goal of today was to get you interested in the sanctuary. There's some message there for you. It's not just in the Old Testament. It's all through the New Testament. Let us pray. Our loving Father in heaven, we're so grateful, Father, that you're a God that does things in an orderly fashion. And that you will make sure that we are not misled by every wind of doctrine. I pray, Father, that as we have just briefly looked at some of the points dealing with the sanctuary. There's so much more we don't know yet. There's so much more we have not studied out um, together. But, Father, there are, 
there's enough here to know that we need to understand what's going on. Bless these young people, Father, as they go to their class. Let them learn what they need to learn so they can use the things they have learned to further your work and shorten the time upon this earth. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.